give him a hand and give them a hand too. Hallelujah. Woo. Don't you love it when you hear, feel the spirit moving? Do you love that when it comes over you? Bob knows what I'm talking about. He got to experience it Saturday. That that undescribable feeling. There's no words to describe it. It just just envelops you. Just fills you up, overflows. What a good God we serve. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, again, welcome everyone. Um, Pastor is down at his, at Ardmore. It's a a celebration for who he calls his pastor. So he's, uh, he was very excited that he got invited back for a celebration for him. And pastor is going to be talking about uh, the importance of the church still, which I agree 100%. The church is very important still. So while pastor's talking about that, we're going to be talking about Jesus. Who loves Jesus? Amen. Amen. So, I want to ask, is Jesus still real? Yes? I'm glad y'all feel that way. We're going to look today at Jesus and why he is real and is relevant still today. So, Jesus is as real today as he was in the Bible. So we're going to start by looking at his healings. We're going to start in Matthew 4. It says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Now, the three that we're going to look at are healings of of the masses. But who knows that Jesus did many more things than just healing people. Many more things. But Jesus did so many works that we don't have time to cover them all today. So we're just going to cover the three where he hit the masses. Next, we'll look at Matthew 8, 14 through 16. It says, Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. When eating had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick. Next. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up to the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with him with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Miraculous, isn't it? Miraculous. And if we believe Jesus is real, and Jesus did what he did in the Bible, why is it so hard sometimes for us to believe that Jesus can still heal us? that Jesus can still do the same things he did in the Bible today. Does it say anything else in the Bible where Jesus stopped or was unable to do what he did after his resurrection? No. No. But it's very rarely even taught within our churches these days to look upon Jesus for everything. Um, A little side note that I like is when when you're studying the Gospels in Matthew 14 and also in Matthew 15, where Jesus feeds the 5,000 and the 4,000. It's such a miracle what he made out of nothing. But the other miracle that's often so missed is that every person there, upwards of 10,000, heard his voice. 
So next we're going to look at his resurrection. Three times Jesus tells of his death and resurrection. How many of you know that his death and resurrection is part of what makes Jesus real? It's part of why he's still real to us today. The importance of the resurrection. That we understand what that importance is relevant to our lives. Matthew 17, 22 through 23. It says, Now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. And they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in place by itself. Now there's another story here. Anybody know the significance of the handkerchief being folded? Read you just a little thing. This is about the the culture of the Jewish people. It says, Once the master had finished his meal, he would get up, wipe his hands, his mouth, and his beard, roll up his handkerchief or crumple it, and placed it on the table. In those days, a rolled-up handkerchief meant, I'm finished. If the master got up, left the napkin or handkerchief folded beside his plate, the servant knew better than to touch the table because the folded napkin meant, I'll be back. Is Jesus coming back? Praise God he is. Soon, sooner than later, he's coming back to take his bride home. Are we his bride? Hallelujah. Can we rejoice that we are his bride? Hallelujah. Amen. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. But Mary stood outside by the tomb, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting. One at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. We serve a risen Christ. Those were accounts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the resurrection. Because like I said before, the resurrection is part of what makes him real. Because of his defeat of death, which through Jesus Christ, we also defeat death. So now...
we go to Mark, and it says that who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And this one, y'all remember the play that we did? It was, it was really, it was, it was a good play. Everybody did wonderful. There was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. So again, just reiterating our risen Savior. The importance that that plays in the role of a believer. And then we'll move on to those who witnessed him after his resurrection. In John 20, verses 11 through 16, 13. But Mary stood outside by the tomb, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, where Jesus was laying. Did I give you the same scriptures again, dear? Okay. Well, that's where Mary turns around and she sees who she believes is the gardener. But it wasn't the gardener, it was Jesus. And as soon as he mentions her name, she realizes who he is. So she was the first one. And then we go to John 20, 19 through 20. We have that. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. He was dead, but no more. He came in through a closed door and was in the midst of them. And then we have the encounter of Thomas in John 20, 27 through 31. So Thomas doubting, Jesus said, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Christ is, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And that kind of sums it up right there. But we're not done yet. So it was while they conversed and reasoned, this is on the road to Emmaus, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. They didn't know it was Jesus. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them 
that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then, after that, their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he, walked, while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? Do our hearts still burn when we pray, when we get into his word, when we try to draw close to him and he draws close to us? So they rose up early, rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. Saying, the Lord is risen indeed, and he appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Hmm. Wonderful. So not only did Jesus teach as an early boy started, Led a life, at least in his early 30s, when he started his ministry of going around and proclaiming the good news of healing and doing many, many miracles and wonders. So not only do we have those in the Bible as evidence, not only is the Bible, the entire Bible, from start to finish about Jesus, not only... That he died for us, took on our sins, and shed his blood to cleanse us. But he rose again from the dead to defeat death, that we may also overcome death. And that wasn't enough, that still, after all this, he makes himself visible to many after his resurrection, that they may believe, that they may take that and share it and spread it so that others may believe too. But like he told Timothy, Timothy, Thomas, how great is it that you have seen and that you believe, but how much more those who have not seen but still believe? Now, we haven't seen Jesus face to face, but I'm looking forward to the day I do. But what we have seen is his evidence and his workings within our lives, that we were one way and now we're another that we were into all this debauchery and now all that tastes like dirt and mud to us. That no more do we want to affiliate and associate with our old ways that we want to embrace and work and seek God's face every day. That we were once dead, but now we're alive. The evidence of Jesus being real is everywhere. But when morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered to him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that, he was heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. I probably would have done the same thing. So again, the appearance of Jesus after his resurrection to solidify to his apostles and to others that he has been risen, that he's real, that he's alive, that all the things that he had taught them and showed them were factual. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, Paul, first of all, the first four is the gospel. 
says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you that the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, and by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, all of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. So we can say that Jesus made himself apparent, right? That Jesus wanted them to know that he was risen and that he was real. So how do we take this into our daily lives and into others who may not believe or as Corinthians said those who have believed in vain so let's look at some earthly evidence and there's a whole lot more on top of what I'm going to read but because of time I don't have the ability to go through all of it but there have been many many archaeological Discoveries that prove the Bible, that prove the people in the Bible. Cities, towns, scrolls, signs, so many different things that validify the Bible. And if the Bible consists from start to finish of Jesus Christ, then the, 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 the archaeological finds they discover validate Jesus as being real, right? So this is an archaeologist, Eric Myers. He is the Emirates Professor in Judaic Studies at Duke University. He says, I don't know any mainstream scholar who doubts the historical evidence of Jesus. The details have been debated for centuries, but no one who is serious doubts that he is a historical figure. He goes on to say, now, whether Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God who could perform miracles is certainly a matter of a different discussion. And all these accounts I'm giving you are from non-believers. This one is from Pliny the Younger, who was a governor in Asia Minor and wrote to an emperor around A.D. 112, so not too far after Jesus' death. And he says, They, Christians, were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light, when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God, and bound themselves by a solemn oath not to do any wicked deeds, but never to commit any fraud, theft or adultery, never to falsify their word nor deny a trust when they, had, when they should be called upon to deliver it up, after which it was their custom to separate and then reassemble to partake of food, but of the ordinary and innocent kind. Talking of Christians. In AD 112, talking of how Christians were already praising and worshiping and then we look at Tacticus, who was a Roman historian, and he said of the burning of Rome in A.D. 64, he said, Nero fastened the blame of the burning of Rome on the Christians who derived their name from Christ, who at the hands of Pontius Pilate suffered the extreme penalty. And number three, we have the Jewish Babylon Talmud. It is written, on the eve of the Passover, Yeshua, Jesus, 
was hanged, and for 40 days before the execution, a herald cried, He is going forth to death because he has practiced sorcery and has enticed Israel to apostasy. What were they claiming Jesus was doing when they were put him on trial? And here, after his death, we have written evidence of a non-believer verifying the very thing. And then we have Lucian, who's a second century Greek sardist wrote, The Christians worship a man to this day who introduced their noble rites and crucified on that account impressed upon them they are brothers at the moment of their conversion. They, they deny the gods of Greece and worship their crucified sage. The very willingness of the apostles to suffer and die as martyrs for their faith. Why, after all, would any person willingly choose to submit to a painful death for confession of Christ? If he was not real, if they did not completely and fully believe upon Jesus Christ, why would they let themselves be so painfully killed? And even outside the apostles, Peter, who was crucified upside down, others who were killed with the sword, John the Baptist beheaded, many Christians who the Romans used as fodder in a Colosseum, as animal food or as gladiator bait, even burned at the stake as torches to light the city. It would be so easy so easy when someone threatened you to say, I don't know who Jesus is and save your own life. So easy. Even today. But we have account after account after account throughout history of people going to the death because of Jesus Christ. Do you think we have people in this world today that would do that? Honestly, do we? They are doing it. Yes. Angie knows. I'm a big fan of Voice of the Martyrs. I've shared some stories. And in those stories, families, fathers, pastors are violently put to death in front of their families, dragged out of the house with their heads cut off. I won't go into more detail because it gets very graphic. But up into the point of death, they confess Christ. And even after seeing their husband taken outside and beheaded, the family still confesses Christ. That's the power of God. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power we have inside of us. I try not to go off on too much of a tangent, but there's been a lot of... Um, wokeism happening even within our churches there's a lot of churches that aren't preaching the true word of God there's a lot of churches that have bent over to the way of society and those churches need a lot of prayer But with what we see happening in the churches in our society in America, it has weakened our faith. It has weakened the believer in the United States. We need to pray like Pam was praying today. We need to get that strength back. We need to be Bible-believing Sin calling out, God-fearing Christians. We don't need to sit back and be passive and take everything that society throws at us without 
calling out for what it is. We're supposed to be salt and light. Sometimes truth hurts. But because truth hurts, we're not supposed to not say it. We're not supposed to put their feelings above truth because their feelings will lead them to hell if they don't know the truth to find salvation through Jesus Christ. If we as believers and as we as doers, as we do do the word, right? We don't just preach it. We don't just read it. But we actually do it. Then when time comes up and we're confronted with these situations, we are supposed to call out sin for what it is. We're supposed to shed light upon the situation. We're supposed to help, as Bob did the other day, lead that person to find Jesus Christ in their lives. Not just say, it's okay, we'll get it tomorrow and walk away. The same thing the Bible says, if you see your brother in need and you don't give him anything, but tell him to go down the street and get it, what good are you? The same thing goes, if you don't help to lead them out of sin and to, to find Jesus Christ, what are you doing? Are you just enabling the sin? Have we become a society of enablers instead of those who will stand upon the word and stand upon Jesus Christ and take whatever comes at us? The strength lies in Jesus Christ, not in ourselves. For a long time, on steroids and everything else, I thought it was my strength I was relying upon. The bigger I got, the better I would be. And I got humbled. That it has absolutely nothing to do with me but with Jesus Christ. Without him, I can do nothing. My strength comes from him. My help comes from him. Everything that we do, that we act, that we portray, comes from Jesus. Or at least it should. Churches need a huge awakening within this nation to quit turning to society and turn back to Jesus. Turn back to the real Jesus. So now we go to look at the relevance of today. I don't know if it'll show it. Is the picture there, dear? There's no picture. So there was supposed to be a picture, if anybody's heard about it, the new James Webb telescope, right? I've talked once a little bit before about the Hubble telescope, but now there's an even bigger, better telescope. So the point of this telescope is that they want to see back as far as they can to the beginning of time. Man, whether they know it or not, is always searching for God. They just don't realize it. So by them so desperately wanting to see how the solar system was formed, how it was at its conception, at its birth, they're looking for God. There was a reporter that said, as they were talking about, that, they've, that this new image is the deepest, the farthest back they've seen in the solar system ever. They, they want to find out what lies at the beginning of the solar system. And the reporter said that maybe we don't really want to know what's at the beginning. Well, John 1 tells us Amy Jennifer thank you in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That's what's at the beginning. That is the source of all things. Jesus was at the beginning, and he's at the end. He's all through the Bible, and he's still today. And if anybody says that the Old Testament's not relevant, that they only take key parts from the New Testament, 
then you don't need to be listening to what they say. Because as we've said, Jesus is through the entire Bible. From old to new, from Genesis 1 to Revelations, he is in all of it. And that's why this church teaches and preaches the whole word of God. Not just bits and pieces. The whole Bible has relevance. There's a one last thing that we need to cover. And that is a biblical worldview. How many know what that is? I hope that we know what this is. And I hope that this is the view that you carry. And I hope that if you're ever confronted and asked about this, that you can validate why you carry this belief or why this is your view. Because shockingly, it is not the view of very many. So what is the biblical worldview? Number one is that God is the creator of all things. Number two is that the Bible is the infallible whole word of God. Number three is that because of the word, we have absolute moral truth. Not man's ideal version of truth, but absolute morals and truth. Jesus was sinless, he died for us, and he rose again. Number five, Satan is real. Whether anybody's ever told you that or taught you that, Satan is real. We found out this morning. The ladies found out yesterday. Satan is real, and you do have to fight him. Number six, salvation is obtained solely through Jesus Christ. And according to the Cultural Research Center, only nine percent of Christians in America hold a biblical worldview. That breaks my heart. A nation where 67% of this nation confesses to be believers, confesses to be Christians, and 9% of that 67%, which is an extremely small amount of the population, holds a biblical worldview. Number one, that God was a creator. It breaks my heart. It's hard to understand how believers who have grown up in church, who have read and studied their Bible, can take on the belief other than God was the creator. That God made men and women. God did not make 70-something different types of men and women. God made man and woman. There is a nuclear family for a reason because God designed it that way. Man reproduces with woman. There's no other way to do it. These couples now, same-sex couples now, that call themselves families, that are breaking the very fabric of families and is breaking down the society, say they have families. The only way they have families is because they adopt from somebody else. They cannot naturally reproduce, and therefore it is not a natural relationship. And now we even have birthing people. We have professors and judges in front of our Senate that don't even know what a woman is. Can't describe it because they didn't take biology. We're living in a broken society. I, I pray that you can see it. I pray that you don't just stay in your little bubble and just sit back and just don't touch me. I'll be okay. I know Jesus. Don't touch me or expose me to anything else and I was going to sell through life. That's not what we're called to do. We're not called to live in a bubble with our heads under the sand and let everything pass by and it's a bit dead and that God will take care of it. That is not what it But we see more and more like the 
only 9%, which that's down from 17% in 2017, which means it just continues to, to fall. Our society just continues to accept everything that is not God. We continue to just push God aside. Pastor did a wonderful sermon on the fourth. This nation was founded upon biblical principles, founded with godly men. We have let it all go. Every bit of it. Terry mentioned one time that we have invited powers and principalities over this nation. And they're not going to leave. They're not going to leave until they're made to leave. But they're welcomed here and they're worshipped and they're praised every day. Even by a lot of churches. We have to be the Christians and the believers that we were called to be. We have to go out and confess that Jesus is as real today as he ever was. That he's coming back soon and he's going to take his bride. That he loves you beyond all belief. That he loves you so much that he paid the price for you. Was hung on a cross, shed his blood and died for you. Who else is going to do that? Ask anybody in the room. Go up to the street and say, hey, you going to die for me? Have anybody else ever died for you? No, but I know someone. I know someone who died for you. The only one who can make the way that you can find salvation have eternal life. And his name is Jesus Christ. There is no other. I don't care what. Actors want to tell you what TV, what newspapers, what anybody else wants to tell you. There is only one way, and that is Jesus Christ. One way. Jesus is the center of it all. There was a street preacher named Matthew Mechanic from Seattle who just recently within the past couple of weeks was sitting at an outdoor bar stool reading his Bible he was reading it out loud hoping someone would stop and ask stop that he might pray for them Stop that he might get to talk to him about Jesus, about salvation. But instead, what happened was that they started cursing him, spitting at him, took his Bible from him, and played soccer with it on the ground. And then they took it and threw it in the porta potty. The Bible, the Word of God. And then that was enough that they drug him down the street and they took one of those collapsible road barriers and slammed it down on him. The cops were called. And who did the cops arrest? Not the ones invoking the violence, but the preacher who was trying to share Jesus. He's the one that gets took in jail. That's the world we're living in. Now listen, I understand that it may not be present in your life right now, but it's in this United States. Don't ignore it. Whether it affects you directly or not is not the point. We are called to recognize these things and stand for those pastors like this who are taking the word to the people. We don't fight for this world. This world is dead. We're leaving this world. But we fight for our brothers and sisters. We stand up for them. We stand up for them so that we and they also can continue to preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Whether anybody wants to admit it is something that's trying to be taken away. Christians, believers, I'm, I'm not trying to harp. I'm just trying to make a point because I see it everywhere. So many churches, so many people that call themselves believers and they don't see anything else wrong happening in the world. As long as they have a paycheck, a house, food, and a job, they're fine. And they think that's all there is to life. It's not. We're spiritual warriors. We fight. We stand for, for the things of God, for his word. We stand to call out sin. We stand to be salt and light. We stand also above all those things to show love. And all these things that we do, it's because we love them. It's because we have found our salvation and we can offer it to them too. Just, just because we have our salvation doesn't mean that we hold on to it and don't 
let anybody else share in that. So, if Jesus isn't real, then why are we here? Why are we in this church today? If he isn't real, then what are we believing in? How are we saved and claimed that we're going to go home to our eternal resting place if Jesus isn't real? If Jesus is real, then why aren't more churches proclaiming that Jesus is real? That he is the way, the truth, and the life. That he died for you. That he rose again. Why aren't more churches preaching this? The message of Jesus is simple and it's timeless. But you don't hear a lot of it. You don't hear a lot of Jesus being preached. You don't hear a lot of hell is real. Satan's real. That it comes down to your choices. You can choose to serve Jesus Christ or you can choose to to have eternity in hell. Separated from the love of God. You can choose these things. But instead we hear a lot of get rich quick schemes in church. Have your best life now. Do this and God will love you more. Do this and you will find your true self. A whole lot of self-help books. This is my self-help book. We need to stand up, church. We need to realize how good Jesus is. We need to not forget that he's real and ever-present in our lives every single day. And we need to let others know this. We need to share him with everyone that we can come in contact with. You're in Lowe's. You're buying some screws for your deck. Some guy standing next to you asking what kind of screws to get. And in the conversation, say, hey, we're having church Sunday. You want to come? And out of that might come, do you know Jesus? Do you want to know Jesus? You never know when the opportunity is going to be there. If you don't open your mouth and try to bring the opportunity forth, you never know how many people you could have brought to Jesus. You never know. If you keep shut, you won't bring anybody into the kingdom. But we have been ingrained through the years to just be passive to just ignore the sin, just turn your face. You didn't see it. If you don't correct your kids, do they know they're doing any wrong? If you see someone living in sin and you don't bring it forth, you don't call it out, do they know they're doing wrong? Is it just what everybody else does? Our roles are important. The pastor of the church is no more important than anybody else in the church because we're all servants. And we all are called to go forth and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. We are all called forth, not one more than the other, to try and witness to people, to let them know the love of Jesus Christ and to try to get them to find their salvation through Jesus. So I encourage you, today today is as good as any day and if you don't know Jesus if you feel a little disconnected from Jesus if you want to renew that fire within you if you want to call out to Jesus that he reveals more to you that he comes closer to you as you work closer to him I invite you to come up front and let us pray for you Let us help you invite Jesus back into your life to be that overwhelming source and light that just exudes from you everywhere you go. Because so many times, so many times, the world just beats you down. You get so much bad stuff put in. Sometimes you can't read enough of the word to encourage yourself back up. That's another reason why church is so important. 
You come with your brothers and sisters and they can pray with you. They can lift you up. They can help build you and strengthen you back up for another week. Imagine how hard it is for that pastor, week after week, getting abused, getting beat up, getting spit on. But he don't quit. He keeps going. Next week, he'll be back out there again. Because he wants to share the good news. We come into this world with nothing. But through Jesus Christ, we can leave with everything. I'm sorry. Very sorry for uh, for people that, that little, little Satan has gotten to believe the lie. And now they live a lie. But I know where the truth is. It's right here. And I know I'm willing, and I think almost everyone in this church is willing to share that truth with anybody who is seeking it. If anybody was to come in off the street right now and come in through these doors, this church will share the truth with them. Not condemn them, not look down on them, not reject them because they're different. One thing I love about this church, because I've been in many other churches where they have a, a mold of what they think a, a, a churchgoer is supposed to look like. And this church doesn't fit that mold. <laughs> this church doesn't fit that uppity-up mold of what church society they think is supposed to be like. This church is genuine, down-to-earth believers who have no problem praying for you, have no problem talking to you about anything that's going on in your life that will help lift you up and build you up. It's one thing that makes this church so great. We're not big. We don't need to be big. We got what we got. So again, as Colin starts to sing, I'm just going to open up the altars. If you just want to come and cry out to Jesus, if anything is going on in your life that you need prayer for, come up and we'll pray for you. If you have anybody you need to pray for, situations, whatever, anything, that's what this is for. I'll invite you, anyone who wants to, to come up. Thank you.